Thanks for tuning in to Hi There Social Sesh. My name is Jamie. And I'm Keegan. And we're here for Hi There Social Sesh. Um, we're a cannabis podcast where Keegan and I talk to you about current events and news in the cannabis space. We talk about alternative medicine. And we will introduce you each episode to one of the most interesting people in cannabis. That's right. Uh, yeah, and this is our third episode now. We're really getting into the groove here. And just to remind you, Hi There Social Sesh is brought to you by Hi There, which is a social cannabis app, um, community of cannabis enthusiasts. We're all looking to create, connect, and learn together. Lots of other platforms tend to censor cannabis creators in these conversations, and we're really trying to do the opposite here. And that is part of why Hi There Social Sesh is here, kind of another avenue to really uh, talk about anything and everything cannabis and what happens in our community here. So thanks for being here. And if you want to learn more about Hi There, you can check out Hi There by searching H-I-G-H there in your app store, or you can click the link in our bio. So yes, welcome back. If you have tuned in before, we typically talk about some news, some trends. We have our guests on. At the end, we're going to talk about some things we like and dislike in cannabis. But in the meantime, I haven't talked to you in like, what, a week? I don't know. How, how's things been going? What's up? Yeah, it, it has been a little while. Things are things are going well. I'm actually in a really good mood today. Um, my mom lives about two hours a day, but, or two hours away from me. But um, today she drove all the way out here in, in the rain to see my son's performance for grandparents day um and so right before i got on here I, I met with her for a quick coffee before she has to trudge back home but yeah i mean you can't my mom's an angel so uh definitely like a really good like start to my day for sure how are you mm-hmm. doing that's sweet um i'm okay i yeah I'm, I'm in my cozy era i feel like i'm in my head down keeping with my routines era um, I just had like a really good 90 minute session at the gym. And then I found that I couldn't like untwist my like smoothie thing. And that was humbling. I, I had a really hard time. It took like five minutes. So yeah, but otherwise like I'm fine. You know, I, I think I'm, I'm feeling good about like the, the months ahead. Uh, now that we've kind of made a dent into 2023, you know, I feel like everything was a little bit, um, trying for many people who were very optimistic about this year and then kind of got slapped in the face with the first few months of the year, um, first few weeks. But yeah, I'm feeling feeling good about the road ahead, I think. Optimistic, cautiously. Yeah, always cautiously optimistic. I couldn't agree more. You know, the first couple of months, there were some little trials and tribulations for me as well. Um, but I am maintaining my my healthy dose of optimism and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where the rest of the year goes. Definitely. Well, well, I was also thinking recently, and I'm I'm kind of an astrology girly lately, and it's Pisces season, and I have a lot of water in my chart. So I'm like, and I shouldn't even disclose this just in case we have Scorpio haters listening, but also like you will learn to love us. Jamie and I are both Scorpios a, a day apart. Um, so maybe that does mean it's our season. I don't know. I'm also a Pisces rising. So I'm like, maybe that means I, I can, you know, squeeze by to the, you know, mid late March before we hit Aries. I love that. My daughter is only nine. She just turned nine a couple days ago. Um, and she's a Pisces. She's all about it. And so, um, I, I mean, obviously I love Pisces, but yeah, I don't know about my rising or whatever, you know, I'm not very good at astrology, but I think it's entertaining and I like it. Um, because we're born one day apart, albeit a few years apart as well, 
Does that mean that Pisces means like it's my season too? Well, so I guess the way I understand it is like elemental bits of like, you know, water signs kind of thrive in water seasons. And then the opposite, like a fire season might be a little bit more tumultuous. But um, that said, I'll have to run your chart sometimes. Do you know your birth time? Um, I can ask my mom. She knows. Okay. We'll have to figure that out because I, I, I've ran my, my cat's chart. Oh my, I, that is ridiculous, but that's, I love it. Like take it all the way. Right. Like don't just do things half-ass. Like if you're into astrology, I want to know your dog side. I want to know your grandma's sign, like everyone. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead. Um, we could, I could talk about astrology. So uh, this whole podcast, we, maybe we'll have an astrology spinoff podcast coming soon. Not really. Um, not at all, but in the meantime, We'll probably revisit that in the future, I'm sure. But let's get into some topics here. Uh, we have a couple things to discuss. Today, I was thinking about something that I had reported on a couple weeks ago around ground flower. Um, and this is something I've been aware of for a while. I caught myself buying ground flower from my local dispensary a couple times when I was balling on a budget. Um, I also wrote about basically it was a from an mj biz daily report that used headset data that was actually showing a rise of ground flower sales past several years in canada um back in the beginning of 2020 ground flower sales were nearly zero but by december 2022 that number rose to 7.3 percent of the entire flower sales and the reasons here maybe you're obvious but namely it comes down to convenience and price this stuff isn't shake, so you are still getting, you know, a good amount of the great cannabis compounds that we want here. Um, it's also basically ready to pack into a pipe or a joint, so you don't need a grinder. Um, it tends to be cheaper, but weirdly, it also is a little bit more to produce. Um, so I'm curious to how kind of that works in the future. But um, essentially, what's also interesting is that in the U.S., uh, this is not happening at all um in fact shake and trim have higher sales than ground flower at 2.3 percent um as of 2022 where the ground flower category was just 0.9 percent um of course part of the joy in buying flower for many people myself included is examining the big buds smelling the jar breaking it apart kind of that ritualistic behavior um i have that kind of romanticism of that element of smoking for sure but i was curious to bring this up just because, yeah, it's something that the U.S. hasn't quite caught on to. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it as well as, you know, like maybe in the future this is something that takes off. Uh, I don't know. But and I also think it could be very polarizing, you know, for that reason of flower being such a staple of cannabis culture and something that folks really, you know, resonate with as they're you know, gearing up to smoke. So yeah, I wanted to just put that on the table, see what we think of it. Yeah, I think I think it's really interesting, especially like as somebody who personally has always been a big fan of flower, like I've never gone out of my way to purchase uh, ground cannabis, you know, pre-ground. Um, obviously, like I'd use shake or trim to make oils and then edibles and like I've used it in preparation, but I've never personally been interested in growing cannabis but i think there is that element of convenience right like is that really what is driving the sales and then also your question like how is it that it's more to produce but then it costs less like mm -hmm. to me that's that's something i definitely need to know more about 
Because at that point, like, what's the purpose of it? Are we just trying to meet this demand that's in Canada? Is there not a demand in the U.S.? And that's why it's just not as available to where it's almost like the chicken or the egg. Is it? Is it that it's not as widely available in the U.S. so people aren't opting to purchase it? Or is it that, you know, people are just opting to not purchase it even though it is available, right? Uh, that would have to be my guess, is especially around, like, I think if consumers knew that it was available or if it was more accessible, they probably would go more toward that more than for shake or trim. And at the dispensary I'm even referencing, there were a couple of times where I referenced this product that on the package says pre-ground flour, on the website says pre-ground flour, and even the bud tenders were calling it shake and trim. So, you know, even that of, of maybe, you know, this education element of understanding that this is even something that's available. Right. Um, and I've not really seen that many other dispensaries sell this candidly either. Like it's not something I see often. I saw something recently that I wanted to ask you about, Keegan, since it's from your home state. Um, I read an article from ABC News and it's saying that Colorado is once again setting a record for being the first to do something. Uh, it's the first state to license a cannabis consumption bus. Ooh. Yeah, so the Cannabis Experience is what it's called. It's based in Denver. It offers cannabis-friendly transportation. So, like, rather than you, you need to go, like, travel to and from the airport or you want to rent out the whole bus for, like, a private rental for a party, um, they're offering all those services. And they do have, like, really cool food themes. So one of them that was mentioned is toking and tacos, which that already sounds like a winner to me. I mean, you can't go wrong when tacos are evolved. Um, I mean, especially because I'm from SoCal, so that's like my my life is tacos. Um, and then they're also offering like art tours, so like a tour of rhino murals around town. And then I think it's really, really cool for tourists in particular because you can take tours of the city, you can take tours of dispensaries or grows. So like for out-of-towners who might not be familiar with the legal industry, it's a really cool inside look into you know, what legal cannabis looks like and how incredible it really is. Um, so they just opened on March, March 1st. So we're looking forward to seeing the progress. Two things that I think are interesting to mention is that it is a social equity and African-American owned business. Um, I think it's the first time I'll really say it here, but it's something I say a lot working in this industry. I think it's our responsibility as a community and as professionals that we support businesses that are owned by black, brown, indigenous, and people of color. And this is obviously because these groups have been disproportionately affected by the war on drugs. Um, and so I always love to see an equity business doing well. Um, but then I was surprised that this is the first licensed cannabis bus because, I mean, for years and years, I've seen different tours um, offered in the cannabis space. So that, I think, in particular, was an interesting thing for me to to, to read about. Yeah, when I saw that this is what we were going to be talking about, I was also surprised by that because uh, I have taken a shuttle to Red Rocks where you can openly smoke weed on it. So I'm wondering, I'm like, hmm, um, what was that about? A little bit. Um, I also think that what you said uh, regarding social equity and uplifting disenfranchised groups, especially in Denver, especially when you mentioned like Rhino, which is a great neighborhood that's also very gentrified, you know, and just see what is happening in Denver. I do think it's really important to uplift those groups. And I think that it is exciting to see 
just in general that this service is coming about, it does make me wonder what the hell was going on on that Red Rocks bus. It was just a little moment in history, right? I have no idea what the situation was, but, um, you know, we got there safe. So it is time. We are going to be interviewing um, Christina Wong today. She is a writer, she's a creator, and she is a PR consultant. And Christina holds a unique position in the cannabis PR space. So let's bring her in. Hi there. Hi, how's it going? Good, and how are you doing? I'm good. It's lovely to meet you. And so nice to meet you via video, Jamie. I know. It's it's nice to finally see you face-to-face -face, uh, virtually, of course. But I know we've known each other through email and whatnot uh, for many years now. So it's nice to finally see you. We're really excited to have you on here. You have over a decade of experience in the food and restaurant industry, as well as the cannabis industry. And, you know, in your words, you're a food, drink, and travel writer, content creator, recipe developer, creative consultant, and baked baker. Um, you're now the founder and CEO of Fruit and Flower Company, and you work with cannabis brands to create cannabis and food content that is beautiful, funny, comes with some fun surprises. You're fun and quirky and... Recently, when I was watching some of the stuff um, that, or some of the videos that you created for Student Glass, I was literally laughing out loud because uh, just like the, the sense of humor that you have definitely, I think, is like spot on with uh, the cannabis community. So overall, yeah, we're really happy to have you on. Thanks for taking time today. Uh, our last podcast, Keegan was talking about questions that they had around cooking with cannabis. And so it, I already had you lined up um, and I was like, Take those questions, put them in the box. So now I'm going to start by opening the box and uh, ask you a little bit about what you do. We were talking about cannabis cartridges and the fact of kind of wanting to embrace sometimes the flavors and the terpenes in cannabis. And I thought, as I've talked to other cannabis chefs as well and uh, culinary professionals, that has been kind of a shift recently of really embracing the flavors that cannabis has to offer, not trying to hide it, not trying to have it just be food plus THC oil. And that was something that, you know, as I was looking a bit more about you and your background, I was excited to see that, uh, you know, you had kind of spoken to and talked about before. Um, so that could kind of be our little opening here is, uh, I guess, talking a little bit more about that and what that means to, you know, using cannabis as an ingredient in, in foods and how that, that plays out for you. Yeah, absolutely. And when I first started learning how to cook and bake with cannabis, I mean, it all felt just so overwhelming and very intimidating because, you know, my first question was, I'm like, okay, how do I know how much, how much flour do I use? And I could never find the answer. And then even just cooking with cannabis as, you know, just an ingredient and thinking about it as a flavor and using whole plants and natural terpene profiles. Um, what I learned and started reading from, you know, I, I went down this Google and Reddit rabbit hole and there's just so many opinions and none of them are wrong. They're all correct. And I think that's the beautiful part of this plant. However, I find that there's two different really applications when you're cooking and baking with cannabis. If you are a high dose medical user, if you really need a large dose and large amounts of the plant to really get that medicine that you need, then using something like a distillate that's flavorless that you can't taste is beneficial because you don't want the overpowering cannabis taste to mask the food, right? Just like, and my analogy is like, if you're making a 
tomato sauce for pasta. You're not going to use a cup of oregano. That's just way too much. Like that, the overpowering flavor would ruin your sauce. And it's the same thing when cooking with cannabis. And so I really specialize and I focus my recipes on low dose. And I provide the amount of flour based on the assumption that it's 20% THC because I feel that's a safe amount across the board for anybody who's growing. You know, if you know your percentage, you can adjust the math. But starting with a base of 20% and I make all of my recipes for five milligrams per serving. That's a good, safe place to start for any beginner. There's really no fear of, you know, over-consuming and having too much. And so at that very small amount, it's, I'm always surprised, I always say like, it's surprising how little you actually need to make a fairly potent edible, like less than like a quarter sized amount will make a batch of edibles, like at least 24 like cookies or something like that. It's just a little bit, just enough. So I'm choosing canvas flour that might have a terpene profile, you know, things with limonene that have that citrusy scent that pairs really well with almost anything because it's lemon and lemon um, pairs well with food. But when you're cooking with higher doses, you know, I had a really interesting conversation with Chef Nikki, who is Dave Chappelle's cannabis chef, and she's one of like the best like cannabis chef entertainers in the world. And, you know, she's making dinners for Dave Chappelle and Snoop Dogg, and they're at, you know, hundreds, 500 milligram servings, and that's just a different level. And now you're talking about cooking with concentrates because that's just pure terpene flavor. And so there's, as a chef, as a cook, as somebody who loves food, playing with those elements and those flavors is really fun. But just like any ingredient, you have to know how to work with it. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Do you do you typically work more so than with flour or do you also delve into working with um, like, you know, concentrated cannabis to make those higher dose? Right now, I'm mostly working with flour just because that's very accessible. It's easier for the low dose consumer to get access to that. And it's a little I'm still trying to work out how to cook with concentrates at a reliable like, right. It's like you need this tiny itty bitty little bit melted in. And it's measuring that amount is very difficult, especially because my tolerance is about 10 milligrams for an edible. So I can't really make something high dose and test it. So I really have to make it and give it to my friends to try, um, which makes it more challenging. I did do a really cool project with Jetty and their Dablicator. Like they have like the pen that you twist and it's like you can um, provide like just the perfect amount of concentrate into you can use it for joints you can use it for dabs but I made a caramel apple recipe for them so like based on that exact amount those servings came out to either five milligrams or 10 milligrams per apple so that was a really neat way because otherwise in a concentrate jar I'm trying to like get a tiny bit but with the dablicator I could like twist it and get a precise amount that's awesome I've never heard of that um tool so I have to check it out because it seems like I mean, obviously with precise dosing with like, you know, you're taking concentrate, it's sticky. Like, how are you going to measure that out without losing half the product on a piece of wax paper, right? To weigh it. Exactly. For that does sound like a really helpful tool, tool, especially for people who are beginners to cooking with cannabis concentrates. Um, I think in general, it seems like a lot of the content you create could be geared towards um, beginners. Is that, you know, the space that you're going after? Or do you find that a lot of 
people that are kind of veterans or, you know, they already kind of have an idea of how to cook? Are they, you know, who, who are you seeing really your videos resonate with? I mean, I'm doing mine. I, I'm really focusing on the new can, low dose can of curious consumer because I really see that that there's the highest potential there. And even for somebody who is very experienced with cannabis, I hear a lot where like, you know, I'm a longtime smoker, I'm a longtime cannabis consumer, but I, I would love to learn how to cook and bake with that. So for me, starting with all my recipes and information and amounts geared towards low dose is to me that it's safer because if you are an experienced consumer, then you can do the math to multiply that up to your personal dose. Five is a very easy number to multiply. So my recipes will start at five milligrams per serving. If I want 10, then I'll just double the amount of flour. If I want 15, 20, however much you can add that. And then if you're like up into the hundreds and five hundreds, that's a different story. And so I've actually, I'm actually launching, relaunching the Clever Root. Um, it's a culinary cannabis digital publication that I'm relaunching with Rachel Birkins. And it's all about cannabis, food, beverage, and hospitality. And I'm the recipe editor. And so one of the things we've been talking about is providing um, high-dose recipes in partnership with Skunk Magazine because they do have the growers in the higher dose. And they it, there is an application to that. So I'm trying to actually work out now, like, how do I write versions of recipes where here's the low-dose one with flour, and if you're a high-dose starting at 100 milligrams, Here's how much concentrate to use. So um, it's doing the recipe development and figuring that out has been a fun challenge. And it's like, I don't want to say it hasn't been done because there's been plenty of, you know, like high times of writers and chefs and people who've been writing cookbooks. But I think writing it so specifically in this way, when I when I'm doing my own research, no one's providing the amounts. And the answers that I get are usually, well, dosing is so personal. There's so many variables. You can't, you know, I can't write down the specifics because all of this will change and it's not accurate. I'm like, yes, I understand that and I agree. However, without a base knowledge of information or something to work off of, then we'll never learn. And a lot of the recipes I see, they're like, okay, use a one-to-one -one ratio of flour to oil. And I was like, oh no, that will send you to the moon. And, you know, and what I realize and what I've been learning is that a lot of the tips and the tricks and the recipes that um, have been passed down through word of mouth and have been shared are from high dose medical consumers because they're the ones who are doing this. And for the new consumers who are kind of curious and they want to try it, maybe they live in a state where they don't have access um, or maybe it's medical, you know, really being able to grow your own flour and make your own edibles at home can save a lot of money. It'll stretch your dollars on edibles and it's more potent. Edibles are three times more potent than smoking. And so, um, you know, really teaching people how to measure properly. Um, a lot of the conventional wisdom is like, okay, um, if I smoke a bowl, it's about this much flour. So I'm going to make my pot brownies and about, you know, this many bowls will be about right. And I'm like, no, 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 that's too much. And so really teaching people how to do that, I think, is um, the key because it's intimidating. I think people want to know how to make it, you know, but we all have that scary, like, I got fucked up at a party and I ate this bad, you know, I ate the pot brownie story. I bet it's also really affirming as a culinary professional to be able to continue to kind of 
keep learning yourself as well and have those moments where you're like, ooh, I need to maybe kind of innovate a little bit or look into these other things. Um, well, and I guess on, on that note, you know, what you were just talking about, and you've also referenced this before about uh, the cannabis world being uh, either like too weedy or sometimes a little bit unapproachable or intimidating uh, for folks who may be new to the space. So I'm curious, uh, you know, expanding on what you've already talked about, how do you see food as a way to sort of ease some of those barriers for new consumers? Absolutely. So what I do, so I've spent um, m most of my career in food and restaurants doing PR, marketing and branding. And so I spent, I built up a restaurant company. I really talked about farm to fork and where does your food come from, right? That, uh, that farm to fork organic movement. And when I started working in the cannabis industry, I was learning, um, I was meeting different farmers and growers and really trying to understand, you know, from seed to shelf, the whole process. And I was listening to what they're saying. And what I love about the cannabis industry and people who love cannabis is they're so enthusiastic to share their knowledge, but I only, un I, I don't understand what they're saying. And I was like, okay. I was like, somebody was saying, okay, you got the terps and then you do this and you do this. And I was like, and I was recently actually at a dispensary opening and um, they have like a dab bar area and with, for the concentrates. And there was an older woman who was asking the bud tender questions and he was trying to explain what concentrates are, what are terpenes. And he's saying all the right things. All his terminology is correct and accurate. But I could see the woman he was explaining to. And he's like, you know, like terpenes are like part of the plants and it's the flavor. And she was just blanking. She was like, I don't understand. Like, right. I was like, I only understand like 30% of the words that came out of your mouth and like all of its gobbledygook. And so what I like to do is I use my experience, my background in food and culinary and use that to bridge the gap as a way to teach people how to appreciate their cannabis in the same way that they would appreciate their food. So my belief is that if you're somebody who really loves food, who really loves to go to the farmer's market, you care about the food that you eat, you shop at Whole Foods, you try to buy organic or free range eggs whenever you can, um, cannabis is the same thing. And so being able to use food analogies to help teach and bridge that gap so that people, it doesn't feel so intimidating instead of saying terpenes and, you know, the terpenes are what guide your experience, right? It just sounds very ethereal. But when, um, like in that same thing, I interrupted the bud tender and I said, oh, you know, if you, if I may, let me try to explain. And I said, you know, like, um, think about uh, lavender or chamomile or citrus, right? You might when you drink a lot, when you smell lavender for aromatherapy, it makes you feel calm and relaxed. Cannabis has the same properties and these same, um, you know, essential. She's like, oh, like essential oils. I'm like, kind of, yeah. Like it's it's that idea, but those same properties that exist in these plants also exist in cannabis, and that's how they make you feel. And she was like, oh, I understand. Or I was, I would use wine as analogy, and, I, and she was like, oh, you know, so is it just a, is concentrate just about you know only the thc and i was like well i'm like if you're only talking thc it's like you're talking about a glass of wine and only talking about the alcohol you're forgetting about the bouquet and the terroir and the grapes and the varietals that are being grown and the flavor that it comes in how it might taste and how you might feel and she was like oh i get it and so um, that's where, that's what I love to do is really using food to help people understand cannabis so that's less intimidating. Yeah. So we've seen you recently on the podcast Potluck Club. Can you tell us a bit of more about that? 
So the Potluck Club podcast is through Ophelia Chong, who's an amazing, amazing um, just cannabis and psychedelics advocate and um, AAPI advocate. She started Asian Americans for Cannabis Education because when she first started out in the industry, she looked around and she was like, there's nobody here who looks like me. And so she started highlighting and just sharing like more Asians in cannabis to show that like, hey, look, this is a legit thing. And um, so she does the Potluck Club on Bluntness Media and she does um, Potluck Club is like a networking. She hosts networking events so that other APIs in cannabis can meet and network. And it's been incredible. Like when we talk about, you know, cannabis, the cannabis community, this is a piece of the community that has been huge for me and the work that um, Ophelia does inspire so many of us. Because for me, as soon as I started meeting other APIs in cannabis, I suddenly felt like, wow, like these are my people. I suddenly belong. And for a lot of us, we grew up, right? We've already failed. We're we're not doctors, lawyers, or I mean, there's actually some cannabis lawyers, which is really interesting. But it's, you know, we, we're always the rebellious ones. We're the bad kids, um, right? You're, you're doing cannabis. This is safe. This is that. And feeling and meeting other cannabis, like creative, smart, entrepreneurial, cannabis consuming um, APIs like in this industry has been so wonderful. And so that's the pot, that's Potluck Club and that's run by Ophelia. Um, I'm going to start launching a podcast series on my Substack to basically um, bring to life a lot of the posts and just really as an extension of the topics that I discuss in my newsletter. So on Solvent List, on cannabis drinks and beverage, on travel, um, and then like talking about, like talking through those steps of how to cook and bake with cannabis. It's super exciting about your podcast too. Well, it's coming from, I guess, me right now being kind of in the early stages of either social slash, but that was what me and Jamie were talking about, you know, is having a cannabis community and having the spaces that we already do is so great, but being able to really open it up um, and have, yeah, the the amount of time that we do. And also I think about how you listen to podcasts while I'm cooking or while I'm doing chores. It can be such an easy way to just get education um and to also just sometimes i listen to podcasts where it's just like two friends talking and it feels social and fun so it's such a fun avenue that i'm so happy is taking off uh in this space it is and it's really creating connection and community right for everybody who listens you're listening to somebody that hopefully you're interested in that you care about it's a common interest that we care about and so as an offshoot of kind of Potluck Club, which is like the APIs and cannabis, uh, my friend Wendy Zhang and I started doing something called Mogu Magu. And it is a AAPI culture, food, and cannabis collective, really in that order. And it started off as we we're like, hey, like let's we want to celebrate our holidays and through food and with cannabis. Um, let's get people, let's get brands and our friends together and let's shoot some content. And so this was a year ago. We did our first one. We did a Lunar New Year hot pot. So Sunday school was there. Um, we had Koan, we had Potly, all the API owned brands. And we just did, did a hot pot to celebrate Lunar New Year. And then we also did one in the summer that was a rolling party. So um, my thinking was, I'm like, if you love smoking a J, I think that everyone should know how to roll a beautiful J. 
And sometimes it's embarrassing to ask. Like I've been the person at the party where like, I don't know how to roll a J. That's what's available to me. And I'm standing around waiting for someone to like offer me one. I'm like, that's kind of embarrassing. But I also didn't know who to ask. And so um, I had my friend Carolyn who runs Papers and Ink. She does these beautiful like custom rolling papers. So she taught everybody how to roll. We also did a um, mid-autumn moon festival. And then my favorite one we did at the end of December uh, at the end of October last year with the Desi community Desi um, cannabis community we did a Diwali and dabs so for the first time we brought together all of the Desi and Southeast Asian um, here in the LA area and basically celebrated Diwali which is a festival of lights which celebrates um, right the um, good good over evil and it's really the harvest the end of the harvest celebration and provided that with dabs and hash culture and really reclaiming our roots. And it's been a really wonderful, I mean, it started off as these event, private events at Wendy's house. Um, chef Wendy Zhang was um, a chef and she was on Chopped 420 and she won her episode. And so for us, it's Wendy and I, whenever we get together and we get high and we talk about stuff, it's been so nice to connect about our culture and our heritage and our background together. Because for many of us, like we can't show up in our families as our full selves because they're not accepting of cannabis. And so talking to her about her experience, talking to others about, you know, like their family dynamics helps me be brave enough to really look at and address my own. And we're really there to support each other. And so that's what Mogumago is, like where we celebrate our own culture and our heritage and reclaim our roots because cannabis has a very deep, long history in Asia that has been erased and forgotten. And so I've been having a lot of fun really learning about my own culture through cannabis. And so a project that Wendy and I are working on this year that um, we're still in the very early stages, but I'm so freaking stoked about it and I can't wait to see it come to life. Um, so. Mogu, uh, mo, mogu is mushroom in Chinese, so mogu, and magu is the Chinese hemp goddess. Um, so she also shows up in Japanese and Korean um, art and culture as well, but she is a goddess and a deity in Taoist um, religion, and she is a woman who is really depicted as a healer. You know, she heals people with the elixir of life that she picks and harvests from plants from that grows on the mountain and so the mountain um was is very well known for growing hemp so there's also fabrics and all the things that go with that and so i don't really know a whole lot and so part of this project that we're doing is an exploration of who is magu and so we're going to do a magu art exhibit um so really exploring magu through Asian art. And so we have a friend, Rachel, who is an East Asian art and artifacts, like appraiser and expert. So she's been doing all this history and we're learning who is Magu as this deity. And like that has essentially been erased in our history that we don't talk about. And then we're going to do an art show and do a call for arts with young AAPI artists. I think that that like really bringing in the art and the cannabis and that food community and really celebrating that. And so uh, I'm not sure exactly how it'll unfold, but I think we're going to probably end up doing an art show, hopefully at a gallery in Chinatown here in Los Angeles. 
and we'll do an art auction to auction that off and then really tell the story of who is Magu and really discovering our roots and our history through that. That's so cool. Well, and I'm so excited that you mentioned Wendy because I talked to her about two weeks ago for High Times and she mentioned you. Yes, Wendy's amazing. Oh, you're writing the, are you writing the um, article on her? I, yeah, yep, it's submitted, so it's coming out in May. But yeah, um, and and yeah, I, that was, it was such a beautiful conversation because she also harkened back to that of the history that has been erased and being able to reclaim cannabis as something that, uh, you know, wellness, herbal remedies, you know, that really does go hand in hand with that culture. So, I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what comes next. Yeah. And it's really, you know, destigmatizing and breaking that fear and that stigma. And, you know, I think about it's this plant that has such a long history and yet it's become so demonized. And for, you know, there's, and for all of us who felt like we're the bad kids, we're the rebellious ones that, you know, you're a failure because you're this. I mean, and I was kind of joking and I was like, in doing an art show, it's kind of funny because all of the Asian artists are already failures for being artists. And <laughs> But I think that that's something that we can laugh about and we can talk about and like break that because that is also a really unhealthy um way to think about ourselves right if we don't fit into doctor lawyer engineer whatever those categories are it's so limiting and really being around other you know genre like i think wendy articulates this so well but it's just really being around other creatives and entrepreneurs who are cannabis consumers and being able to talk about it openly is so healing um and really like wendy and i's our journeys are very are very intertwined right now and i'm so excited to work with her on this project that's awesome i love that you're um able to connect with other people and then also like sh be able to share your culture and how it relates to cannabis and the history and maybe the whitewash wash history of cannabis we're not hearing where the roots really lie right and so that's very intriguing to me um, especially if you are going to have an art show in LA, uh, Keegan and I are going to keep our ear to the ground. Cause yeah, you guys need to come. Yeah. I think, I don't know about timing. I'm like, I'm hoping it'll be maybe like end of summer, fall. We'll see. Yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. be posted for sure. It was a great conversation. So we really appreciate having you. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on your new podcast. Congratulations. Thank you. Oh, it's been fun so far. So thank you for giving us the time. So what is your Substack called just so people can find it? Absolutely. So my Substack is fruitandflower.substack.com. Um, you can find it on my website from fruitandflower.co. Um, that's my website, but you can also find me on Instagram at fruitandflower and there's links to that there too. And we'll be sure to share everything with you and tag you all over the place once it's live. So awesome. Thank you. And please let me know. Yeah. Like links and all of that. How can I help promote and share your pod and all the stuff you guys are working on? Definitely. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Keegan. Thanks, Jamie. It's so nice to meet you. Nice to officially meet you. And I hope you have a beautiful weekend and get to relax. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Bye, everyone. All right. Uh, that was a great conversation. I really love talking to Christina. Yeah, Christina is great. I mean, she I, what I really like took from it too, um, when it came to cooking was that she's creating uh, recipes in the future that are going to be like high dose using concentrate, but then that same recipe is also going to be adjusted for low dose with flour. Like 
I personally haven't necessarily seen that, especially like on a range of different um, recipes. So I think that's really unique. And I, I love that she's finding something that isn't out there and, and giving it to people because I think that it's really practical and responsible and overall just like a really cool idea. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I, I really could not contain my excitement about having just chatted with Wendy because we can really center community and make it beyond just, you know, consumption and really, you know, look at education, look at history, look at art, look at culture. Like this is such a big intertwined thing. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was incredible to have her on. And honestly, I'm, I'm hoping that we get a chance to check out that event for when, uh, they do launch their own art event in the future. So we are down to our last little segment here, y'all. Oohs and ewes. Uh, these are things that we are feeling ooh excited about or ew. We don't like it. I have kind of a silly one this week, but it's something that I feel is relevant to my life and maybe to a lot of people, probably a lot of cannabis consumers. My ooh and ew are the same. It's when you get so high, you start getting scared. Um, now let me say when this actually happens, of course, it's an ew. Uh, my last episode or during our last episode, I kind of talked about how I was, you know, using a lot of weed cartridges that I'd gotten for free from a friend who worked in the industry. And now I'm kind of back to taking some space, more focusing on cannabis for little social outings or weekends, trying to be a little bit more intentional about it. But as I smoke less. I also realize that I have to be really cognizant of what I'm doing and my intentions because otherwise I can really get easily in my head. And I've joked, I think I joked on Twitter of like, now that I'm taking a step back from cannabis every time I get high is when you get so high, you start getting scared. But my ooh about this is that this is a meme. Um, that's where that phrase comes from. It's this ridiculous kind of grainy picture of Ellen DeGeneres staring into the camera looking like doe-eyed and frightened. And it has when you so I get so high, you start getting scared as text. And I just, I think it's hilarious. Obviously, like I just said, something every stoner probably knows. Um, and then I've just seen, and I also am guilty of this, like the reiterations where people cover, people cover the text. It's a versatile, iconic meme, and I love it, but it also harkens to a feeling that I think many cannabis users uh, know far too well. Yeah, and unfortunately, I, it's something that resonates with me because it doesn't matter, like, as much as I, you know, where my tolerance is at. Like, every once in a while, that scared feeling can creep up on me. I don't know if it's that I'm a little more prone to anxiety and panic attacks. I've been since I was, like, a wee little kid um, to where I have to be really careful with my consumption because something can go from fun to not so fun pretty quickly. So, um, obviously, that's why I like proper dosaging and knowing what I'm consuming um, but that meme with Ellen, like, is hilarious. And there's so many iterations of it, like, with the same text, but just different people, you know? Like, there's one with, like, Kamala Harris. There's one uh, with, like, there's just, there's so many out there. Because it is something that can, unfortunately, resonate with a lot of us. Not all of us, though. Like, there are certain stoners I know. I'm not going to call them out on here. But, like, you could give them all the weed in the world and they're chill, dude. Like, I I wish I was that chill. Like, I'm just not. Yeah, did you have any ooze or ewes this week? You know, I, I was having a hard time coming up with one. And then I was just messing around because um, being a cr content creator, and, and this is something you're aware of, um, AI, right? Like, as soon as chat, chat GPT rolled out and, like, 
the AI was being used to create content by people all over the place, there was a lot of fear of like, oh, am I going to lose my job? Right. So like, obviously like chat GPT, like it's not, in my opinion, something that should be substituted for like actual living, breathing content creators. But I do think it's an interesting tool. And I've seen a lot of professionals kind of saying how they use it to maybe like inspire them. Um, so I don't know for me if it's an ew or an ew, cause I don't necessarily like, I haven't utilized it in my professional life, but I've just kind of messed around with it. Um, so what I did before we got like got on earlier today is I put in, um, I went on to chat GPT and I was thinking about the cannabis consumption buses that I talked about earlier. And I was like, Hey, Hey, chat GPT, my new friend, come up with like some really clever one-liners for promoting a cannabis consumption bus. So this is almost an ew because I feel, I don't know, it's both because it's an ew because I'm like, wow, creative, but then it's an ew because they're like way more clever than me, this this AI bot, right? So I just want to share some that they came up with. Um, one was like riding the highway on the cannabis consumption bus. Uh, this one's funny. When life gives you lemon, take lemons, take a ride on the cannabis bus and forget about the lemons. Like, okay. Okay. Um, Get on the cannabis consumption bus and let your worries go up in smoke. Come on. Okay. That's a love it. Yeah. And then the only bus we're getting lost is the ultimate destination, the cannabis consumption bus. Um, yeah, that's a little bit like mind blowing that, yeah, all of those are very clever. I mean, it's, I, I would like to think that I could be that clever, but definitely not in the one second that it took Jack, Chat GPT to turn it around. So, it's, you know, it's a lot of an EU for a lot of people that are like content creators, you know, because it's like, I don't want to be replaced by that. But in my very humble opinion, as of right now, I, I really do think that having a living, breathing cannabis professional who has experience in the space is going to be more important than an AI that is learning from actual living, breathing people. So, yes. I, I feel you, but it's, I feel it's very I feel very similar to you. It feels kind of in the middle for me because I think that it could be a really good resource. I think it could be really supplemental uh, for a lot of different fields and industries. But like when I feel like when this conversation really started coming up was uh, within the art community, and I was very staunchly opposed, and still am. I'm an artist, and. Um, I don't like the idea of people, you know, I, I could go into that conversation and I'm not going to, but um, I am 100% going to support people who put the time and effort into honing their skills and their crafts versus something that is basically stealing from those people who have put in all of that work. And I think that that harkens to a lot of conversations in AI. Yeah, and that's something I've, I've wondered about too, you know, being um, in the position of like editing other people's work and having to look for plagiarism, you know, uh, unless I'm really familiar with like the writer that I'm working with, you know, how am I, how am I to determine whether or not this was created by them or this, you know, chat bot? Um, I, I, I've heard, like, can't tell you the source, just kind of one of those, maybe I read a headline things, but like, I remember hearing like, Google might not necessarily be able to detect or they're not sharing how they can detect if you're using AI or your content when ranking for SEO. Like, I feel like they're like, they put it out there like, oh, well, you know, you can't do that. It's not good for SEO, but they can't really prove how that they're determining that difference of whether it was AI created or human created. So overall, this could be a whole episode, but 
But yeah, that's my ooh and ew and I'm confused, right? Like I don't know how I feel about it, but it's for me it's entertaining at this point. And I do, like you said, think it it could provide people with a really cool way to get inspiration. But yeah, where are these ideas coming from? We'll see where that goes. Um, hopefully not to the to the robot war um in several years or what whatever. Hopefully not in the science fiction direction, but uh well we'll we will see, right? But that was our episode. That was our third episode, folks. And yes, uh, we will be back here in two weeks, as always, with another episode, with another guest. And we can't wait to see ya. Yeah. So in the meantime, make sure to follow us on Instagram. You can find Keegan at Promwich. You can find me at Jamie L. Solis. And of course, follow Hi There at Hi There app. We also want you to follow us and subscribe to our YouTube, please. So uh, you can find us hi there social sesh from there you want to follow us um, on our Spotify and Apple podcast so you can listen in whether you're in the car you're doing chores maybe you're in the shower no judgment wherever you want to find us um, but most importantly we really want to see you on the hi there app so make sure to find it um, we will have a link in the bio so click there and you can find both of us on there as well Woohoo! but yeah thank you for tuning in today we really appreciate it and as always, remember that there is a spot safe for you in our sesh. We will see you next time. Take care. All right. Bye, guys.